0: literally i called an airline a couple of nights ago and without any embarrassment a voicemail came on and said your weight will be an hour and 15 minutes i can't even imagine 10 years ago any industry would be telling anybody that their weight would be an hour and 15 minutes dr jonathan bakhtari you can see it i mean it's crystal clear i think it's going to really revolutionize things which is a big game changer All information discussed or provided by Jonathan Baktari, M.D., Dr. Baktari, and or his affiliates and guests are for educational purposes only. The information discussed and provided is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical concern or condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of any information discussed or provided by Dr. Baktari or his affiliates and guests. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call 911 immediately. Hi, welcome to another episode of MD. Today what I want to talk about is uh, your doctor, your doctor's relationship and what's happening to doctors' offices and businesses. More and more doctors are becoming employees of large medical practices as well as large hospital groups and sometimes, you know, equity firms that have bought out Big, big uh, healthcare systems. In fact, the data on that is in 1983, seventy-five percent of physicians were in private practice where they owned their practice. In 2018, it's forty-six, and I'm sure it is less than that now. So, the vast majority of physicians now work for someone else. And the question really is: How does that impact you? How does the fact that your doctor uh, is now just picking up a paycheck and how will it uh, impact you? Well, I think what we're really seeing besides the doctors sort of becoming employees, we're seeing a consolidation in the healthcare industry like other industries. So we're seeing hospital chains by other hospital chains and equity firms get involved and big corporations that are in the stock market buying practices, hospitals, hospital groups. And what is that for you. I'm sure if you live in a metropolitan area, you've already seen a lot of that, and I'm sure some of you have already seen the difference that makes. What happens when consolidation occurs in healthcare like it's happened in many other industries in the last 10, 15, 20 years? Well, before I tell you what has happened to them, let's look at industries that we're all very familiar with, just like healthcare, that consolidations happen, and see if that has led to incremental improvements in either the type of service, the quality of service, the speed of the service, and I think the answer will be pretty clear. Let's take the airline industry, which has seen massive consolidations in the last 10, 15 years, and certainly in the last few years you know, airlines like Continental, Virgin America, Northwest, America West, and Pan Am, TWA, which were gone lo- long before that. All of that consolidation has now left the airline industry uh, in the hands of only several massive uh, airlines. And I think when you look at what has happened to air travel in that interim, I don't think there's anyone here, and let me see a show of hands, who thinks airline travel has improved whether it's the uh, quality of the service, the food on the plane, uh, having to pay for every little nickel and dime, bags and meals and water and everything else. And the question really is, has consolidation helped? And has it dramatically changed the experience in a good way? I don't think there are many people who can say that consolidation has improved. Literally, I called an airline a couple of nights ago and without any embarrassment, a voicemail came on and said, your weight will be an hour and 15 minutes. I can't even imagine 10 years ago, any industry would be telling anybody that their weight would be an hour and 15 minutes and then literally play music for an hour and 15 minutes until somebody in another country picked up the phone. As I've said on other shows, that screams, we don't really need your business but you don't really have many places to go. And I think there becomes a psychology where if there's only a handful of people left after the consolidation, I think they feel like they can probably piss off equal number of people that will vow never to use them again and go to their two, three other competitors. So that sort of comes out in the wash. So they really have nothing to lose by providing bad service. Uh, And there is no, market forces um, that encourages them to improve wake up in the morning. Say, what can we do to make this better Uh, granted the airline industry has a lot of other issues and that's not the focus of this. But what's interesting is when you see the dynamics work out when massive consolidation occurs, the weights never get shorter. The service rarely improves and there is a sense that they need us more than we need them and. Uh, We've seen that. The other industry, of course, the hotel industry is also consolidated. Um, You know, most of the major hotels are owned by several firms. And so uh, that experience is changing. And then look at the cell phone industry where we've had, you know, massive consolidation to only a handful of major cellular phone companies. Uh, has your weight uh, calling a cell phone company gone down? Has the service gone significantly better? Is the customer service better? So let's get back. Let's take all of this and say, okay, we know when consolidation happens in the airline industry, hotel industry, and the cellular phone industry, that things are not going to get better. The only thing that gets better often is really the profit margin of those industries that are consolidating. I think a lot of us physicians who went into medicine, of course, we realized that medicine was a business, but for a lot of people, you know, being a doctor was a calling. You know, some people it was a calling from God. And for most of us, we felt like we were there to do the right things, to be a patient advocate. And the good news is, you know, the vast, vast majority of all clinicians feel that way. However, There are now outside pressures because once someone becomes an employee, it's not up to them anymore what they're willing to do in terms of their commitment to any one patient or the amount of time they want to focus on any one thing and what's important to them. I mean, obviously, physicians still have autonomy when they're in the patient room but there are other forces tugging at them including the fact that their be- metrics are being kept on their utilization on their pattern of referrals on their pattern of writing prescriptions you know are they writing for expensive medications cheap medications are they referring more to gi doctors than other people now of course on some level that's good because we do not want outliers but the question really is when you have that plus the financial pressures involved in seeing a certain number of patients and uh, having a certain quality score uh, on metrics that don't necessarily, the physician may feel really conveys quality. And so they don't really get to pick what they, what is the most important thing in their quality necessarily. Of course, these are broad statements. And I think most physicians somehow, despite all those manage to look out for their patient and do the right thing. But, but you can't help but think having outside forces, corporations, medical, large medical groups, uh, often for profit, making an impact. Now, some of that impact is good. You know, were there physicians who, when they were totally autonomous, needed to, you know, have some of their practice patterns address some, you know, whether it was writing prescriptions or or whether it was referring or what have you. So yes, some of that is good. But the question is, what are we giving up? Physicians who are simply employed and don't necessarily pick and choose what they want to devote most of their time to, it can make an impact. Uh, for example, the let's take the you know medical record system, and I'm going to do a whole video on that. But the electronic health records that they use is not one necessarily they choose. It's imposed upon them. And And what they have to do to comply with those medical records often requires the physician to spend, you know, up to 15, 20 minutes of every visit working on electronic medical records. And that's time they're not spending with you. And, and really they don't have a choice of choosing a different system necessarily, or, you know, addressing it in a different way because it, once you're employed, you know, the rules of the road are set by the employer. It's not like you can go to a major firm and say, you know what, I really think uh, this software needs to be modified so I can spend more time with my patients. That's just not the kind of flexibility you're gonna have. Uh, You would have that kind of flexibility if you were running your own show. You can pick and choose what uh, electronic medical records, what policies, procedures, what cancellation policies you have. You know, will you sh- will you stay if a patient shows up 15, 20 minutes later than the day won't you? Uh do you have other commitments that you have to go to? Do you have to attend meetings, you know, that necessarily don't impact your practice because the healthcare system is having administrative meetings or other things that they want you to do to sort of go go along with their system? And I and I think If you really wanna see it, and we've talked about how difficult it is to communicate uh, with your provider when they're part of a system, as often sometimes compared to in their own private practice. Of course, that's gonna vary based on specialty and availability of competitors in the market. But by and large, it can have a impact when someone is working for a system. Also, I think you're more likely to see interchange of healthcare providers when you're working with a system than when you have a private doctor. So some of that intimacy that you may have, that long-term rapport that you may have, may not be the same when your doctor becomes an employee. I we talked about hospitalists in another video and I'll provide a link to that. But the hospitalist is one area where it has impacted your ability to have the same relationship with your doctor in in and out of the hospital. Uh, some of that is good, of course. But that combined with the fact that your doctor, you know, if you see a, if you go to the office on a Monday, you'll see Doctor X, and if you go to another office, uh, you'll see Doctor Y. Now that that happened in private practice too, but not to the same level that it can happen in large medical practices. And also with large medical practices, there's significantly more turnover. So you know, doctors now get one-year contracts, or the contracts have to be renewed. Um, and they tend to leave one employer to go to another employer for different reasons. Uh, While that happened in private practice too, I don't think anyone would argue that uh, certainly when, when a physician is employed, the likelihood that you're going to have that same physician for 10, 15 years is probably less. I think, you know, if you talk to your parents and you know, people who uh, grew up maybe a decade or two or who were were seeing physicians a decade or two before this will tell you that having a a long-term relationship, uh, especially with primary care physicians was not that unheard of. It was not that unheard of for for people to say, oh, you should see my doctor, "Oh, my doctor, yeah, you know. And I don't think that kind of conversation goes on as much when your uh, doctor is employed simply because the doctors change, they move on, uh, they get a better offer, better job, better hours, they, they get along better with a different group. So, um, all those changes are part of the consolidation. And, you know, why this consolidation has occurred is obviously just a function of market forces, but it's also a function that I think. The solo practitioners or the practitioners who own their own business were really in a compromised position. They were not able to negotiate with Medicare and large insurance companies as one individual like hospital chains can and as large medical groups can. Uh, If you're the largest medical group in a a certain metropolitan area, believe me, on some level, you're going to dictate to the insurance company what the reimbursements will be but if you're a solo practitioner sitting in your office in downtown Memphis, uh, you're not gonna dictate to Blue Cross Blue Shield what your reimbursement is. They're gonna dictate to you what the reimbursement will be. So you can imagine the economic pressures uh, that physicians who own their practice must feel. Um, and also uh, as new expenses like you know bringing on new medical records was sort of imposed upon them, their ability to absorb large large uh you know capital projects is limited uh, unlike hospital groups which have the cash flow and and the capital to uh, to incorporate some of the newer technologies so it's pretty obvious why some of these changes have occurred and you know some of the changes also occurred to be totally fair totally fair is because doctors some doctors who were in private practice wanted to become employees wanted to have a better lifestyle potentially and there's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if we go down this road where we systematically get rid of private practice, once it gets to a certain number, the impact will be really obvious. It's the same thing with airline industry. I don't think when the first three airlines went out, all of a sudden you were paying for your bags and you weren't getting meals. So it didn't happen after the third one. Did it happen after the fourth or fifth or sixth? Who knows when it happened, but I can tell you, as it continued, the changes became much more obvious. So, you know, I think we're in the early stages of just Pan Am and TWA going out. But when the rest go out, when only five, ten percent of doctors are working for themselves, I think uh, we're going to see the full fallout of of the quality and customer friendliness, and really. Being able to have that special rapport that I think many people long, especially with their primary care doctor. I think, I think some of that is going to be sorely missed. Well, I'm really excited. We're going to be launching a new medical series where I go over medical situations. You've been through encounters at the hospital doctor's office. So send your stories to BaktariMD forward slash contact. Of course, we're going to keep everything anonymous. We're not going to use your name and we're not going to release any private medical records, just the overall story. And we're going to help you understand and help the viewer understands the context, the content and what the story really meant behind the scenes from what you've told us. Thank you so much, please send those in. Thank you for listening. You can check out my website, jonathanbaktarimd.com to sign up for my newsletter, and you can watch this full episode over in my YouTube channel, Bhaktari MD, where you can leave questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes. As always, be well, thank you.